Amen. Let's spend some time thinking about that. Thinking about how good our God is. Just, I know we're anxious to get into the text, but let's pause for a second. I want you just to pause and really think about what God has been to you. How good God has been to you. When we pray, um, we have a tendency to just kind of, sometimes we get into a rush and and we we just make some generalities. Uh, God is good. Thank you for everything that you've done. But I want you to pause right now and think about some specific things that God has done for you that you're thankful for. I want you to spend some time thinking about how God has shown up for you when you didn't know where to turn. Spend a moment to give God the thanks that he rightly deserves. We spend so much time moving from one thing to another that I think we unintentionally don't think about and and are truly grateful for the things that we have. God has made miracles. He made something out of nothing. What is it for you? The, the, the idea, in fact, that we're able to breathe in and out right now is something that we should be grateful for. The place that you have to live, the, the food that you were able to put into your stomach, the people that God has surrounded you with, talked about a place to come to freely worship. What is it for you? What has God done for you in your life? Give him thanks right now. Gracious Lord, thank you so much. You have been so good to us. And if we're honest about it, we don't deserve anything that you've done. We don't deserve the grace that you've given. We don't deserve the mercy. It's the exact opposite that we rightly deserve, but we thank you for loving us in such an unimaginable way. Help us to take some time often to slow down and to give you thanks. Even in the mundane, we know that you are there. We want to look for these great grandiose things that happen, these miracles that we look forward to, but uh, we see these small miracles every single day in our lives, and we should stop and be on our knees and be giving you thanks for them. Even when times are rough and we're struggling, we're still able to to, to get up and, and, and go about our ways. And you're, you're there even in the struggle. And in fact, you're the one that's sustaining us through it. And for that, we give you thanks. God, you are... So good. There's never been anyone like you. 
You are worthy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Father, that we are here today and we get to open up your sacred texts. We get to hear you speak to us through your words. So, Father, help us to do that. Help us to focus our attention on you and who you are so that when we leave through these doors today that we know more about you, that you have drawn us closer to you and that we would be on fire to live our lives for you because of who you are, because of what you've done, and because of what we get to look forward to. Help us here today. Father, as you use me as your instrument, hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, he is so good. It's unfathomable how good our God is. You know, as I go through my life, I have uh, discovered that uh, it's difficult to do things on my own. It's difficult just to to, to pick up and and as as uh, I just want to be able to to pick up and learn new things or uh, go and do different. I, I just can't do it on my own, and I I love that God thought about that before. You know, I want to be a lone ranger. I want to be self sufficient. I want to do all these things. But God knew that I needed people around me, not only so that I can accomplish His goals, but sometimes I need to be put back in place. Uh, sometimes I maybe get get over my skis a little bit, but I praise God that I have people around me to, to, to kind of bring me back. Or, or when we when we think about who we are as Christians and the job that we have, we're, we're here to make disciples who make disciples. I, I'm glad that that God uh, put us together as a body of believers to help one another. That He gave us specific gifts that we can use. And as we're having conversations, the people that I'm around may be a little different than the people that you're around. And and so because of that, you know, we have a message that resonates with those people that God has placed around us so that they can hear the good news. Or the, the, the way that we come together as a body of believers, as a family, as a friend group, we come together, especially when we're Baptists, so we like to eat, right? We have people over, we got people's specialties. They, they, this, this person does the pies, this person does the cakes, uh, this person does the smoked meats. Because you know, we, can, we can't all do it. Some, some, are, some of you are some good cooks, so I don't know we can all do it all. Today, I want you to focus on what, what God has given to us, and, and especially in the church. And, and the title is, Why Can't We Be Friends? Because I think as we, we come here, a lot of us come and we spend time together. And I love the chatter that we have as we, we start our service because we're catching up. Like, how was your week and what you've been doing, what you've been up to, what's going on, how you feeling? But I wish that we would be together more than just on Sunday mornings, just for this hour. I wish that, that we would have not only a friendship, but understand that we're family and that we spend some time together, that we would encourage one another, that we wouldn't be by ourselves, we wouldn't be isolated the rest of the week. I, I hope and pray that for us because it, it makes us stronger, not only individually, but as corporately, as a body of believers, it makes us stronger together 
today in our text, I want us to see what that kind of looked like as, as Paul is on his journey to Jerusalem. Look with me in your copy of God's Word. We'll start in Acts chapter 20. We'll start at the end of chapter 20 and verse 36. Here God's Word reads, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ships. Verse 1 of verse, or chapter 20, And when they had parted from them, they set sail. And we came by a straight course to cause, and the next day Rhodes, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it in uh, on the left, we sailed for Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was un to unload its cargo. Having sought out this, the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our way, on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we finished the voyage to Tyre, they arrived in Ptolemais and greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. We had four married daughters who uh, prophesied, and while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down to Judea, coming to us took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. But then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm not ready only, not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Lord Jesus. And since, we, since he would not be persuaded, he ceased, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nansen and Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. It's a huge chunk of scripture that, that we have there. And as we read through this portion of the text, um, Luke describes Paul's journey that he took in order to get to Jerusalem. And it's easy to repass a lot of this stuff. I mean, it seems like, you know, it's telling somebody to, to come to church and like, well, first you're going to, depending on where you're coming from, you might need to get on 55, or you're going to get off on 53. And, you know, it, it kind of feels like it's just giving some directions as to how Paul is going about getting to Jerusalem and, and what's going. So it's easy to read past these particulars, but I want to draw your attention to something that is easily missed. I want you to see 
the community that is surrounding Paul as he's going on this journey. These were much more than acquaintances. These were, these were not just average Joes. They just happened to be there. They chose to be there and to support Paul in this way. Each of these folks had a real and lasting bond, not only with Paul, but each other. They were family. They were friends. Paul not only travels with them, but he stays with them. He visits with them and he works alongside them. And we see this continually through the, the book of Acts. This is Paul is going on his missionary journeys. This is what he's doing. These friends surrounded him. They hang with him through thick and thin, through all these challenges and journeys. And while spending time together, they, they talk. They weep. And I'm sure they have some laughs together. That's what friends do. That's what family does. The body of Christ is made up of many members, and we're not here to be long-ranger Christians. I used to be that guy. They say, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to the church. I'm going to attend Bedside Baptist today. I can read the Bible on my own. I don't need to go to a place and have somebody talk at me about the Bible. Uh, I didn't get it for a long time that God had made me to be in amongst other believers to, so that I can grow with those believers and get to know the Word, but also to grow together and, and, and use my gifts the way He's uniquely given them to me for His glory. Even the great Apostle Paul needed these people around him. It's, it's easy to, to read all that, that Paul written and, and think about how much of a soldier he was. Man, he was just going out and he wrote the majority of our New Testament and, and all the great works that he did. But man, it was tough even for him. He's just like every one of us who made in God's image. We were made for community and we were are to build relationships. That's how we were designed. Even if we look at Jesus, who was described as a friend of sinners, he also uh, called his disciples friends. John 15 and 12 says, this is the, my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known for you. Brothers and sisters, if you profess to be a Christian, you should look like and live like Christ. So separating yourselves from others, especially other Christians, isn't a Christ-like characteristic. And this is tough for us nowadays where we're coming out of a, a, a season where we're, we were been told to isolate and, and to, to, to be, be away from others physically. But we were never told or we should never submit to being isolated spiritually from one another. This is so important. This is why uh, we were, were made to be together in community. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, once said this in a sermon. He says, 
uh, to need and to want deep spiritual friendship is not a spiritual uh, sign of immaturity. It's a sign of maturity. It's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of health. You see, even as we look at the creation account, everything that God creates, he said is good. And then when he gets to man, he says, this is very good, but it's not good for you to be alone. Brothers and sisters, if you're lonely, it's it's an indicator that you're not a flower. If you're lonely, it's an indicator that you're not a chair or a robot. It's an indicator that you're, in fact, human a human that was made to be in community with others. You were made to uh, be with God's people. Even if you're introverted like I am, you know, uh, you might not like big crowds, but you have those core people, those select, the select group of people that you enjoy, that energizes you and you want to be around. I know there are many people here that love their pets, And I can understand that pets can be comforting, but they cannot fill the space that a human friend can. Here's the way it works. You you need people in your life before you need people in your life. That might sound confusing. It's It's like breathing air. I I talked earlier how we should thank God about being able to breathe. But you don't think about air until it's gone. You you don't think much about your breathing until you're underwater and you're gasping. You don't think about it until you get hit with this crazy virus and it impedes your breathing. Now all of a sudden you're thinking a lot about air. The same thing is, is true of the people around us is, we think about our friendships and our families. When you find yourself in an emotional or physical state with nobody to turn to, it's too late. And it's much harder to find someone that you love and trust because you have all, other, all these other things going on in your life. And it turns into a vicious cycle. Since you haven't invested in your relationships and friendships, then when you need somebody, nobody's there. And maybe you can pull yourself up and get yourself out of this rut, and then you think, well, I didn't need anybody anyway. I got myself out of it. I'm good. And so you don't uh, do anything about building these relationships in your life. And then something else happens. You go through another season, and now you still don't have anybody around. It's a vicious cycle that we can get in when we double down and separate ourselves further, when we reach a roadblock in our lives and find that no one is there. Listen, God has placed people in your life for a reason. We are not designed to go it alone. We are designed to be in community. Remember that we are a body with many members. And if one part of the body isn't working, then we have to compensate. It throws off the entire body when one part part is not working or functioning in the right way. 1 John 3 and 11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 
because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you that know murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow. It says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's extreme. But that is the point. That is is the goal. That should be an indicator for us that we are not abiding in him. When we enter into a relationship with Christ as believers, we also enter into a life with fellow believers. And this is what we see playing out in our text this morning. Paul journeys to these various places. He opens himself up to the people that he encounters. This is not just uh, the pass by and he's meeting people on the street. These people are doing life together. They're sharing all the things with them. He shares intimate details of his own life and they're sharing with him. They're sharing with each other. Was it perfect? I think not. I mean, we're dealing with people after all, right? These people weren't any better or different than what we are today. They they had their own stuff to deal with. I'm sure they had their selfish moments. They they probably said the wrong things. They they probably stepped on some toes and maybe thought like, well, I don't know why they don't do this because I do this and they should do it because I do it. They should know better. I'm sure that happened. I'm sure that it wasn't because uh, uh, they, they were dealing with all these things, and I'm sure that these things got in the way. But in 2 Timothy 4, Paul talks about a man named Demas, who was someone who was a fellow worker that had abandoned him. He trusted this man. He had done some work with him, and all of a sudden Demas decides he's going he's gonna to leave. I'm sure that hurt Paul. I'm sure he was disappointed. But fortunately, he had invested in others. He had shared his life and done life with others who were around. That doesn't just write Demas off, but he had others there who were to shore up those things, others that can be there uh, with the relationships already intact so he can call on them for help. Or remember even John Mark, who previously had beef with Paul. Paul was mad. He's like, I don't want this guy. He's already deserted us once. You remember, and Barnabas had to come by. It's like, oh, no, I got John Mark. He's, he's a good guy. He just needs to be discipled. We need to just help him out. Paul's like, nah, leave him. Forget about him. He's, I'm not going to go through this again. But later, Paul says, hey, 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 ask John Mark to come. He can be helpful. They patched things up. He was able to see what God was doing in his ministry. And they, they were able to forgive one another so that they can work and build that relationship again. Man, how easy it is for just for us just to cut people out, isn't it? Like, well, they didn't do this thing this time, so I'm done with them. That's it. You can't say amen, y'all say ouch. But we look at Paul and see his example for us, and we see how we can do better, and not just because of our own will, 
but because of the gospel. It's the gospel that brings them together, and it's because of the gospel that they're able to forge these spiritual relationships. So I'm not telling you to, to, to fit and force it and, and make this thing happen. We do this because of the gospel and what it is and what it means to us. Even as we gather here today, both physically and virtually, from different walks of life, uh, different economic backgrounds, different ethnicities, and many other things, the one thing that binds us together is a common Savior. The, the one thing that brings us together, that holds our bonds, is the blood of Jesus. And that's the only thing that matters. I don't care who did what to you. Jesus gave up his life for what you did to him. All the things you've done before, all the things you have yet to do, Jesus still saw fit to give up his life for you so that you can have life. Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a matter worthy that is uh, worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I think it's interesting here that he, he, he didn't tell them to get unified. He tells them to maintain or keep the unity that's been established by God. God, God is the one who establishes this unity, and, and he tells us to continue to maintain, to continue to work toward our job is to cultivate unity and continuously to work on maintaining it. That's our job. That's our responsibility. It doesn't matter who you were before Christ. We come together as diverse individuals and we bow our knees to Christ together. Together. So how can we expand on this? Christian friendship. First, we can practice hospitality. And I'm going to keep saying this until I get blue in the face. So you guys strap in. Now, well, I'm going to talk about hospitality, and I'm going to hammer this home. You're going to keep hearing me talk about hospitality until it's, it's part of the fabric of this church, that we're hospitable towards one another, not only here, but outside of these four walls as well. All throughout the book of Acts, we see this example. We see it time after time that people are opening up their homes to others. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I would jump on my bike and ride through the neighborhood. Did you guys do this when you were younger? Maybe it's just me. You'd jump on your bike and start riding around the neighborhood. Or maybe you walked. I don't know what you did. But then you get to, you, you go down and go towards your friend's house and you see all the bikes outside his house. You're like, oh, that's where the party is. Every, everybody's here. I can't believe I'm missing out. I wonder what they're up to. I, I wonder what's going on. Would you get excited? You go in, maybe you're playing some games or they're in the backyard playing some kickball or something. You have this hospitality that's happening. And you get so excited. Don't let the, the ice cream truck come through. And, and maybe their parents are home and give, give you some little chains to go get, get you a bomb pop or something. But this is hospitality. For some reason, when we get older, we grow out of these things. We get busy. 
and we have too many things on our plates and we don't have time for other people in our lives. Somehow we grow out of these habits and, and, and we don't have uh, time for others. And we, we see in the text that people are sharing their, their, not only their time, but their possessions and, and all these other things that are going on. They just open their homes to this fellowship. But I, I, to be honest with you, when, I, when I'm headed to somebody's house and I see all the cars in front, I'm like, oh man, my people are here. We get to spend some time. We get to have some fellowship with one another. And as we go through, as, as I read through the text, we see Paul makes the rounds, doesn't he? So it's kind of like if you were, you know, thinking back as a kid, right? So you stop at one house and you hear somebody else's, other people at somebody else's house. And so you journey over there, you go to the next house, the next house. That's kind of what Paul is doing here in the, in the text. He's going from place to place and they're all doing the same thing and loving on him and, and cherishing him and fellowshipping with him and all the other believers. We see him in Tyree and Ptolemy, so Caesarea. Then he gets to Nathan's house in Jerusalem. These folks are treating their homes as a gift from God. They're using it as a tool to reach others. We have the same opportunity here today. God has given us our homes. He's given us some means so that we can be hospitable towards others, that we can be so grateful for what he's given to us that we, we just have to share it with somebody else. James 1 and 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, God has welcomed us into his family, so we should happily welcome others into ours. To welcome people into our homes, but more importantly, we're welcoming people into our lives. I get that the times now are a little different. Um, some of us are more comfortable than others having folks in our homes. I get that. But, but how else can we show hospitality? What else would it look like for us to show that here? How do we express it? I'm convinced that the spirit of hospitality begins with the openness of welcome, just being welcoming to others. Just, just going and having a conversation with them. If they share something with you, like, how was that? Thing? Last week we talked about your job interview. How did that go? That means we're listening, that, that we're interested, and we care. I believe that's another way to show hospitality. The next way for us to expand our Christian friendship is by showing affection. If we look at the scenes that we have here at the end of chapter 20 and throughout chapter 21, these friends, they display the visible and physical affection that they have for one another. We see them crying and they're hugging and all this other stuff. Acts 20 and 37 says, and there was much weeping on their part and they embraced Paul, they kissed him. When I was a kid, I remember going to see family on the weekends. And it was tough for me as a kid because we would be there all day. I mean, we'd get up and just be there, and they're just talking and doing all this, this stuff. And it, my mom would say that it's time to go, and I knew it wasn't time to go. 
And she was saying, let's, let's, let's get up and let's go. But they would just keep talking. They would, they would say, okay, we're going to go. they just keep on having a conversation. So soon, after a while, she'll stand up like, okay, yeah, no, this time really, we, we're about to go. But they just kept talking. And, and it seemed like every 10 or 15 minutes, you, we'd inch just another step because they kept talking. We get our coats on, we go and hug and kiss everybody goodbye, and we start to, they walk us to the car, still talking. And so it wasn't until, you know, we're in the car, got the, the car in reverse, and about to drive down the street, like, okay, now we're really going to leave. You know, but as I look back on that, and as painful as it was as a kid, I look back and, and I uh, can see the love. I can see the affection that everybody had for one another. I can now look back on that fondly because we were spending time with one another and we didn't want that moment to end. We loved each other so much that we, we just, if we could stop time and put it in a bottle, that's what we would have done. When I look back on that, that time is so precious to me now to know that people around us and love each other in that way, loved us so much that it was just hard for us to part ways and just go back home. We wanted that, that time to continue. At the end of chapter 20 here, we see something much deeper. They knew that there were some, some challenges ahead for Paul, and they, they figured that this, this might be the last time that we get to see him. You know, for most of us in our family, you know, hey, we're going to see each other the next weekend, most likely. But in this case, they're like, man, there's the Holy Spirit has shown us that there's some challenges ahead for Paul. This might be the last time that we get to be with him. We get to share this time. So the brothers and sisters urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem because they knew what was ahead. Man, I wish that for us, that we would show so much love and affection for one another that we wouldn't want this time to end. That we would be looking forward to the next time so much. Like, I can't wait until next Sunday. I got to have you over. Let's get together for lunch. Let's, get, let's do some coffee together. Let's, or let's just hang out. Uh, a matter of fact, I can meet you when I'm on my way from work to the next place. I got 10 minutes. Let's, let's meet in the parking lot so I can see your face. Wouldn't that be something? One final way for us to expand on Christian friendship is through praying together. Acts 20 and 36 says, And when they had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. 21 and 5 says, When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey and they all with their wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down to the beach, we prayed. Everybody knew what was ahead for Paul and the difficulties that he was about to face. And even though Paul said he was ready, they knew that the best defense was for them to join together in prayer. They wanted to cover everything that they knew about, the things that they didn't even know, the things that they couldn't even imagine. They wanted to make sure that it was covered in prayer. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, 
we must be praying for and with one another. It's great to say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you about that. Now is the best time. Pray now for and with each other. Make opportunities. We don't have to wait until Wednesday nights to get together to pray for and with one another. Sometimes it helps just to call somebody up and send a, send a quick text to let them know, I'm praying for you right now. Let's pray together. There's always a good time to pray. Romans 12 and 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be in constant in prayer. So we must be praying for protection. We must be praying for blessing, guidance, healing, relationships, Anything else that you can think of or may come up with, we need to be in prayer together. So my question, why can't we be friends? Or let's take it a step further. We're we're family, right? God grafted us into his family when we submitted our lives to him and follow him. We're children of the king. We're heirs to his kingdom. Can we be family? And I get that we got some messy families. But the family of God. That's our example. That's what we aspire to, to be with our brothers and sisters forever in eternity. It's when we put others before ourselves that we can find life. Mark 8 and 34 says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. When we're facing loneliness and isolation, if we were to be honest, it's because we haven't taken up our cross. If we're honest, we're trying to save our own lives instead of doing what the, the Word has said, that we will lose our lives for Christ's sake and for the gospel's sake so that he can save it. Now, is it risky? Yes, it is risky. Will you get hurt? Absolutely. Yes, you will get hurt. But is it worth it? Yes, it absolutely is. If we follow Paul as he followed Christ, remember that he says in Acts 20 and 24, he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That is what I want for us. That we would think of others more than ourselves. When we follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you are not alone. And you will not regret it. Jesus is our unfailing friend and he's called us to make disciples of all nations. 
And I assure you, the best is yet to come. As we struggle through the strife and the things that are going on in our own lives, the best is still yet to come. This this momentary uh, space that we feel when we look at our lives is just a blip when you look at the spans of eternity. And that's what we have hope for. That's what we have to look forward to. So the little things that you give up here on this life are going to be worth it when we get to be with our Lord and Savior forever. Remember when we said, all those things that you did for others, you did for me? <laughs> the, the, the opposite is true as well. How dare we withhold what was freely given to us Even if they don't reciprocate, there's times that you didn't either, or you don't. But God still saw fit to give up his life for you. If you want to have this conversation more about, you know, uh, what this means, what this looks like for you in your life, how, how can I follow Christ? What does that mean in my day-to-day? I want to have that conversation with you. What does it look like for you to submit your life to Christ and follow him? And I'm also going to be here uh, for prayer if you need prayer. for. Remember, we're going to pray for and with people. I'm going to hopefully be an example of that. If you need some prayer today, um, we've got others here that would love to, to pray for and with you as well. So uh, don't miss that opportunity. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father God, thank you. Remembering again how good that you are. Thank you for the perspective that you've given to us, even in the life of Paul. Uh, as uh, mundane as this text could be, as we're looking through, I'm like, yeah, he stopped at this place and that place on his way to Jerusalem. But I love how you just exemplify uh, how, how you shaped your people. How, how much they care for, for Paul, how much they care for each other so that we can see it as an example for us in our own lives. How is it that you might use us in our lives, Father, that we would be able to uh, show others that we love them? And we, we do so because of who you are. We do so because of the gospel. Not necessarily for the reciprocation that we might received in this life, but for what we have awaiting for us in eternity. Help us to keep our faith, face looking that way, looking toward eternity and what, what you have in store for us. So we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.